Hey friends, welcome to Cashing In on Content Marketing. I'm Amanda Milligan, the Marketing Director at Fractal. And every week on the show, I interview marketing experts about ways to know the value of your work and get buy-in for your strategies. This week, I'm here with digital marketing strategist, Henry Adasso, to talk about how forming accurate audience personas can boost your ROI and help you get buy-in. Welcome to the show, Henry. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Glad to be here. And you have a book that I think when this airs will have already been out. Tell us a little bit about this book. Yes, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm publishing my first book, which is always very exciting. And it's called Content Mapping, Unlocking the Power of Contents to Increase Engagement, Leads, and Sales. So the book is entirely about how to develop an almost psychic understanding of the people that you're trying to reach. And audience personas, you'd sent me a piece of this book, and this is where I, I decided like this would be a great topic for this episode because audience personas are a, an extremely pivotal part of that. And I think it's something that is difficult for people to get buy-in for. Like I can speak from my own personal experience that justifying spending the time and the resources on forming audience personas at some organizations was kind of frowned upon because they didn't know exactly the, the benefit that it would have. So can you talk a bit about that? Have you seen that happen to, to people? Have you seen the struggle to get buy-in? Or if not, like what is the value of spending that time on creating good audience personas? Yeah, so people shy away from persona exercises because it just seems really abstract. And it's difficult for a lot of people to quantify the value of personas, um, but they are incredibly valuable. I have seen that in, in my own experiences. So imagine if you had to go give a speech and you've been preparing for a long time, but you have no idea who you'll be talking to, what they look like, what they care about, what they're interested in. Uh, that would be a really hard pitch to give. You, may, you might get booed off the stage, right? If you say the wrong thing. So I think personas help us make our audience real. Uh, we can't always hang out with our customers and, and go through their journeys with them. But if we have an understanding of who they are, what they care about, what keeps them tossing and turning at night, what outcomes they're seeking, then I think we have a better chance of connecting with them. I think that just that narrative is a really good thing to bring to leadership or whoever you need approval from. Do you have any other tips for marketers who want, they understand the value of it, but they're trying to get buy-in to spend time creating them? Yeah, I think it has to start with what are you trying to accomplish as a brand? So if you're trying to sell more of your thing, then you absolutely need to know who you need to sell it to. So I used to sell forklifts, right? And the competition decided that they're going to run a campaign and the content of the campaign centered around how much better their brand was over the competition. And we said, you know, what if we went in a different direction? What if we said, who is this for? And then based on that persona, developed the right messaging for that person. Well, what we found was that there were multiple people involved in the decision-making process. There was a procurement manager who cared mostly about cost savings and quality, but there was also a project manager or operations manager who cared mostly about 
things like efficiency and team safety. Um, so those were really insightful in that campaign because we were then able to develop multiple messages. So things like having an ROI calculator for the procurement person and then highlighting the different ways that that equipment can make life a lot easier for the team while keeping everybody safe or the project manager. So that really resonated with them because we were able to map our content to each persona, but the only way we could get to that outcome was by backing up and trying to understand who we were selling to. So personas are hugely, hugely useful in making that leap. I think a lot of people assume they already know what those personas are just based on their day-to-day experience, but that might not be the full picture, right? Like I've heard people saying that they dug into the data and actually found either brand new personas or things about the the target audiences they thought they knew that were totally different from what they expected. So with all that in mind, like how do you actually go about creating an accurate audience persona? So it's an ongoing process, you're right. Um, Your car needs tune up every now and then. The car that you bought five years ago is not the car that you own today. It's going to need oil change. It's going to need new brake pads, maybe. And people are the same way, right? People change, people evolve, uh, data also evolves. So we can always iterate on the persona exercise and we should look at it as an ongoing process because we can always find new things. Uh, and that's the magic of having personas is that you can always go back, review your personas and see if there's a new opportunity or if there's a new persona that you need to be speaking to. I've been telling a lot of people or recommending that, especially we're recording this in December, 2020, that now is a good time to check back in on those personas because so many people's lives have been turned upside down and who knows what people's priorities are now. So I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, So what are some of those sources that you can go to to get information about people? So if you sell to an audience of people who have a group somewhere where they commiserate or gather to talk about what's going on in in their lives, in their industries, that is the most valuable source of data, insight, information around personas. Uh, So you can always look up industry associations. You can look up different social media groups. And if people are already talking about a certain topic, that's something that's important to them especially if they're paying to go to a conference, virtual or, or not, pre-COVID, to he- listen to people talk about that topic, that's a very, very urgent and important topic to them. So that's a good way to find out what your personas really care about. Um, the obvious way is to talk to customers. I mean, you're going to get so much more nuanced information from talking directly with customers than you will from um, maybe trying to guess at what they really care about. So talk to customers, look up what, what social groups they belong to and, and try to understand what topics are top of mind for them. I really like that you brought that up, that just listening to those communities that already exist is big, but even just like where they're spending their money 
it's, it's kind of like a prioritization method. You're absolutely right. I didn't really think about that. If somebody's spending a lot of money and traveling to get some kind of information, it must be extremely important to them. That's a great point. You mentioned in your book that you encourage people to pretend to be their personas. Why do you recommend that? Yeah, so the idea is that we need to take our own medicine, so to speak. Sometimes we can, as marketers, develop content in a vacuum and develop content based on best practices. But until it's actually applied in a real world scenario, it's very difficult to understand whether or not that content will be effective. But if we can just back up and dramatize our personas, we learn a lot more from that exercise. So I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, I'll tell you the story of Elizabeth. So we had uh, years ago when I was working on, on the client account, we had a persona exercise and we developed a persona named Elizabeth and she was uh, a senior citizen, had um, I think six or seven cats and she had all the, we, we made her as real as possible. She had a, um, a daughter that lived about 200 miles away and she lived alone. And um, months later, I went on a trip to a company, another company to de deliver meals to seniors around the Houston area. And one of the residents that we ran into, there was such a huge commotion at the gate because it was double locked. And when she finally got to gate to the gate and unlocked it, we saw about six or seven cats behind her. And um, we started talking to her and we found out that her oldest daughter lived in Dallas, which is more than 200 miles away. And um, she was about the same age as the Elizabeth persona that we had developed. You know, so I, I joked with my colleague that, hey, you know, we ran into a real world Elizabeth today. And I, and I think that's the power of using that information and that data to create hyper-realistic people that look just like the people that you're trying to reach. Um, and, and, and I think when we can get to that level of detail, we have a better chance to resonate. Yeah, I think people tend to see audience personas as kind of just like kitschy, really top level descriptions of people. But I like how you describe in the book and now like it's almost like a characterization that you would see with creative writing, like really just trying to get into the mind of a different person. I think that's a much better way of yeah. looking at it. Absolutely. Novelists do this all the time. So they'll go to a town where the story is set. And they'll go hang out at the bar where the character suppose, supposedly hangs out. Uh, they'll talk to the natives. They'll try to eat the same kind of food. And, and by putting yourself in that mindset, I think it allows us to develop more empathy. So what kind of information based on this, like if somebody's actually going to sit down and create an audience persona, you know, the typical things, the demographic information, and then probably their biggest challenges or desires. Is there anything else that people should make sure is criteria that gets into this audience persona? So I think you need the, the foundation and you mentioned some of them. So the demographics, the objections and doubts on their mind, because we want to try to address those things. But we also need to understand the psychographic element. So what do they believe in? For example, if you're trying to reach someone who is, uh, let's say, a mother who is looking to buy 
um, air purification solutions for the house because she has a kid who is asthmatic. Those are all important pieces of information, the mother, the kid, location, product. But what if she also cares about sustainability? And it happens that your product is 100% organic and sustainable. Well, now you've tapped into something more than demographic. It's mm. belief, it's psychographic. And now you are in the sweet spot. So I think that's one underrated element of the persona building exercise that can really, really help us connect. And that sounds like something you'd have to get by talking to your audience, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So as much as possible, talk to the people that you're already reaching out to, the existing customer base, um, just to kind of understand what they care about, but but also talk to people that that you're hoping to reach out to. So yes, I think you get that kind of information, that nuanced information, mostly by talking to people. I love this approach to uh, persona building, but how do people keep from getting too in the weeds and creating like 50 audience personas? <laughs> like, what is the what is the sweet spot for like number of different personas you should come up with? Yeah, it's easy to go crazy with it, right? Because we can get really excited and, and just create a whole bunch of personas. But I think, I think you have to prioritize. I think you have to use the 80-20 rule and say, who, what's the 20% that generates the 80% and how can we get more of them? And that becomes your primary persona. So who is really driving business right now for me? And how can I keep them happy and, and attract more people like them? Because at the end of the day, if we're being completely honest, everybody is not for us. Everybody is not going to be the right fit for what we have to sell. So we need to focus on the people that are the right fit and prioritize them. And if somebody comes into our store and says, hey, I want um, something that you don't offer, we don't say, yeah, we can get you that. Uh, we send them to somebody else who can give them what they need. Uh, that way we can continue to deliver value to the people that we're really reaching out to. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's not just reaching out to any of your audience. It's seeing, okay, are they advocates of the brand? Have they purchased from us many times? Are they our ideal uh, audience? And prioritizing personas like that. I really like that. Yes, so what yes. What I'd like to spend a, a decent amount of time on is if somebody's listening, they're like, yes, I totally get the, the value of personas. Maybe they have them, they want to update them, what have you. How do you go about putting those into action? So you mentioned earlier that they really help you kind of hone in on what type of content to create. So I guess my question is, are there any other ways you can implement personas? Is my first question. My second question is, what are those touch points? So at the very beginning, you're probably saying, okay, what, who are our personas and what content do we need to create for them? But is there any other time in the marketing process that you should also be remembering or bringing that back, your audience personas back into the fold to kind of remind yourself and stay focused? Yes, both are excellent questions. And I'll take the second one first. Okay. So I think sometimes when we start to lose focus of what we're really after, what we're really good at, that's a good time to remember who, who this is for and who we're speaking to. 
So that keeps us focused. And the more focused we are, the more effective we can be. So that's number one. And to answer the question about implementation, so I used to do a, an exercise um, when I worked at the, uh, on the agency side, we had 40 clients and my team, which was a content marketing team, developed personas for all of our major clients. And one thing that I like to do to make personas practical is to print out a picture. So I'll literally find a picture and I'll stick that next to the information that we've gathered and then print that out and put it somewhere visible. So it could be on your desk, it could be hanging on the wall. And every time you create content, you can use that as a reminder to stay focused. The other way to implement it is when you run ad campaigns, a lot of the same information will apply. So the demographics, the psychographics, all of those things essentially become targeting criteria. And if we've done our job, they translate to social media ads, paid media ads, um, all kinds of ad channels. So those are two quick and easy ways we can implement personas. And there have been previous guests on the show who have talked about how when they're trying to get buy-in for an idea, people tend to think of like with whether they particularly like something like, oh yeah, I like that or I don't like that. And even using the persona as like you've alluded to this, Henry, where it's, we're not creating it for you though. We're creating it for this persona and even using those personas once you have them as part of that buy-in conversation. I just wanted to remind listeners of that because I think that's extremely powerful. And especially if you have personas like Henry's talking about, can go a long way in, in getting buy-in. Have you done something like that, Henry? Hugely important. Um, and, and to take ourselves out of that process, right? To say to, to leadership or to, to other members of the organization that this is not for us. This is all about the customer. Um, and I think that's huge in terms of buying. Uh, it's huge in terms of being more effective with it. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between B2B personas and B2C personas? They're all human beings. So I think, I think we have to remember that because we can get um, too much in the weeds that, like you alluded to in the beginning. And, and sometimes that can limit us from actually gaining traction. So I always like to remember that we're always selling to human beings. So that's number one. There are differences, of course. Uh, one with B2B, one major difference is that you're typically selling into a family instead of uh, an individual. You know, it's a family that buys together, maybe stays together. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. But, but that, that's a huge difference because what we found is that the more decision makers involved in the process of buying from you uh, on the B2B side, the lower your chances of selling to them. And it's, it's natural, it's human nature. There are lots of different opinions, different agendas. Um, sometimes people don't have the right authority levels to pull the trigger. So it becomes a little bit more complicated on the B2B end uh, because you're selling to a family traditionally. Whereas B2C, you're generally selling to one and that one person maybe has an influencer, someone a friend, family member who has an opinion, but ultimately that one has the decision-making power. So that's a key difference that we have to keep in mind. 
That's a great point. I didn't think about that. So when you create these audience personas and you're coming up with content ideas, I imagine you have to kind of pair it with the funnel and and the customer journey, right? How do you go about doing that? Yes. So, so that's actually the, the real value is, as you said, pairing the personas and the content with the funnel. Um, one way to remember this is to think of the traditional customer journey as an arc, ARC. So awareness, research, and conversion. So depending on where people are, they, they have different needs. They expect different kinds of content. They are different personas with different mindsets. So someone who is looking for, uh, let's say, a new car and has just had that thought for the very first time is probably looking to narrow down a list of maybe 10 cars. So they're not necessarily ready to buy right away. So the best kind of content you can deliver to that persona is information that helps them make a more informed decision. Here are the 10 safest cars rated by whatever agency that you can buy today, right? And then that way, when they finally say, you know what, Uh, I've been researching for six months, I'm ready to buy, they're gonna give you a call. That's a great framework to connect both of those things. And I like that you talk about that in the book. And we're approaching the end of the episode. So I wanted to ask, since your book is about content mapping, if you wouldn't mind providing a brief explanation of what a content map is and what piece, what role the personas play in that. So a content map is uh, essentially a framework that allows you to align your content with the customer's journey. So I talked about the ARC awareness, research, and conversion process, and I expound on that throughout the book. And what a content map does is it gives you a single point of view where you can look at your content and see if it makes sense for the customer, depending on what they need in that moment. So this is a framework that anybody can use, whether you're selling product or service, um, whether you're selling B2C or B2B, you can always use a content map to position your messaging to to match up with the intent of your audience uh, and and almost kind of read their mind and sometimes know what what they need before they know what they need. (laughs) So so that's the beauty of it. I'll, I'll share one final example that I talk about in the book. So imagine someone who's going through the process of researching um, a solution, a solutions for back pain. So he has lower back pain and he's looking for solutions. Well, if you're a mattress store and you have mattresses that have been maybe clinically proven um, to alleviate back pain and you have some research and some data to back this up, well, you can help that person identify their need and say, look, uh, that thing that you're looking for, that solution that you're looking for could be connected to your mattress. So let's take a look at that and see what's going on there. And then that's a way to deliver a different kind of value, help them give a name to the thing that they're dealing with. And then when they finally uh, have all the information and confidence to go forward, they're going to come to you and say, you know what, you empowered me with information. You looked out for me and I would like to buy 
I love that example because on the top level, you can say if you're trying to sell mattresses, just like, here's the best mattress, right? In like a very general sense. This is why our mattress is better than other mattresses. But you're saying there are other challenges that your personas have and they might not even know that you're the solution to them. And I yes, think the persona yes, exercise exactly. is so good for that. Yes, yes. You know, we have that general content awareness, but sometimes people need a little bit more nuance. And I think the, the opportunities for us to say, hey, for your specific problem, here is what we think can help you. And that's real value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a question. I don't know if there's a good answer to it. So I apologize in advance, but how do you go about determining if your personas are on point? So is it a matter of maybe your content doesn't seem to be performing as well as you thought that maybe that's one of the things you revisit along with, you know, however many other number of things you can look into, or are there any other tricks to figuring that out? That's a very, very good question. And I think it's something that a lot of content marketers struggle with. So I think if, if we've done our job, we will see an overall lift in our content marketing metrics. So engagement will go up and conversions will go up. We'll sell more mm-hmm. if we've done our job. To get a little bit more specific, we can also look at tagging the content that we've created specifically for personas. Um, we In the book, I talk about uh, narrative labels. So we can use a narrative label to understand which personas, uh, which content pieces are driving engagement. So we develop content for the person who was looking for a mattress, didn't have a name for it. And we developed blog posts, uh, email emails, let's say, maybe a white paper that shows the link between back pain and your bed, right? So now we can go and tag all of that content and maybe after 90 days, take a look at it and see what, what's happened. So, so that's a more specific way to measure that piece of content and that persona to see if it's resonating. I love that because then you can compare different personas. Maybe you have some that are really accurate and their content is just doing so much better than some others that need some honing. I think that's a great tip. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Do you see a common mistake people make in creating personas? Is there something that's tripping a lot of marketers up? Oh, that's a, that's such a good question. So we could do a whole episode on this one. (laughs) Um, The big, the big one is when we create personas that that we want to see so if we if we have a certain desired customer then we create that persona to look like sound like and feel like that customer so that that's a tough one because it's so difficult to take yourself out of the process um but we have to so i think we have to take ourselves out of the process and remember that we're not our customers Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. awesome so at the end of these episodes, I take kind of a, a left turn and ask a question that's not entirely related to the point of the episode. But for, for 2021, the theme is creativity. So I like asking, I have so many different guests on the show at different specialties, but I like asking this question because it can help anybody, which is how do you stay creative or how do you find inspiration to think outside of the box when doing this type of work? I love that question. So I, I'm an avid reader. I read a lot. And um, 
I like to, I'm also very curious. So I like to read things that are not related to what I'm doing. And I am always inspired by a lot of different disciplines. I'm a huge music fan. I used to be a music journalist. So I take ideas from music a lot. Um, for example, when I was writing this book, there were pieces of the book where I kind of looked at it as like, almost like songs, you know? So, so I'll, I'll try to, uh, you know, get that inspiration from, bring that inspiration from music over to, to something like writing. So that's, that's one way, just kind of marrying disciplines and looking around, um, essentially. Do you read fiction as well that, to inspire you for nonfiction? I read and write non. Uh, I read and write fiction. So it's interesting that you asked that because um, we're recording this in December and I, I just received the proof for the book. And I am, you can't see me right now, but I'm beaming with smiles because <laughs> when I looked at it, I was like, this is perfect because it looks like a, like a fiction novel, right? It's got the kind of cream white paper. It, it's like- Oh, it's amazing. Um, intentionally formatted that way just so it's it's easy to read and it's like fun and enjoyable so I was looking at it I was like this is perfect that wouldn't change anything yeah so, I'm yeah. such a I'm such a fiction fan it's so hard to get me to read nonfiction, and I <laughs> so much appreciate like like narrative nonfiction, creative nonfiction, or even like you're saying it's so it's so cool to me that you thought about that even for the design because I just want something that feels more accessible and has more of a storytelling spin to it Yes. I mean, we don't want it to be drudgery, right? It's, if it looks like a textbook and reads like a textbook, we'll feel like we're <laughs> back in school doing homework, you know? So, so yeah, I just try to find ways to, to tweak things a little bit and make it a, a more interesting. Do you have any book recommendations based on what you've read recently? Yes. So I've been doing a 50 book challenge for the year and um, I just read Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. I love her. I love her. Great book. I've only read Braving the Wilderness so far, so I'll need to check that one out. But I, 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 I that's on my wish list. I need to I need to check that one out. I haven't read it yet. That's awesome though. I'm glad you shouted out, Brene. <laughs> yeah, um, somebody texted me uh six pages of uh The Gifts of Imperfection, and I read the six pages, and I was like, I'm buying this right now. So <laughs> the same day. I was like, I'm buying this right away. <laughs> well, if you're interested in checking out Henry's book, I'll make sure to include uh, the link in the show notes so y'all can check that out. And Henry, knowing the goal of this podcast, who do you recommend to be guests on future episodes? Ooh, let's see. Can I think about that one and get back to you? Of course, yeah. I know, I put people on the spot with this one and they're always like, ah, oh, it's such a great question, but they want to think about it. So no problem at all. Thank Henry, you. I am so glad you took the time to be on this show. It was fascinating and I appreciate you sharing your insights. Thanks for having me. This was fun. If you've listened to this and want even more tips, sign up for our podcast newsletter by going to the podcast page on the Fractal website. And if you've learned anything from this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions, ideas, home decor inspiration, winter cocktail suggestions, ways to keep my glasses from fogging while wearing a mask, or anything you'd like to share with me, shoot me an email at amanda at frac.tl. I'm a shameless extrovert who would love to hear from you. Thank you to Sean Kelly for podcast music and editing and to Joao Pereira for logo design. 
And thank you, dear listener. I hope you'll join us next time.